Good afternoon. The panel are indeed national. Uh, Joe McCarroll, Steve McCabe with me this afternoon. Good to have you here on the Wednesday, by the way. Panel, it's on Spotify. And just a word on this toxic smoke from a fire at a scrap metal yard in South Auckland. Auckland train services were suspended. Most of them have resumed. This blaze at Sims Metal on James Fletcher Drive in Favona continues to burn hours later. And Auckland residents there have been advised to close doors and windows. Fire and Emergency New Zealand District Manager Brad Mosby said that composites of plastics mixed with the scrap metal workhorse for concern of toxicity. With us is Dr Guy Colson, Principal Scientist of Air quality at Newark, Dr. Colson. Welcome. Good afternoon, Wallace. So this is going to continue into the evening. The smoke. I mean, the smoke. The looking at the smoke uh, pictures, uh, uh, guy. It's quite thick. It's quite black. Uh, I mean, I know that any smoke inhalation is bad for you, but gosh, what about this type of smoke? Um, yes, in general, any smoke inhalation mm. is bad for you, but uh, this does appear to be particularly unpleasant. Although it's hard to say because we don't really know what's in it. Yeah, one one local described it uh, like burning cables. I mean, in terms of the toxicity from the scrapyard, I mean, what can you tell us uh, what they would be looking for? Um, yeah, that description of burning cables is uh, probably the sort of the plastic materials that are being burned off. Um, from what I understand, this fire is a mix of all kinds of stuff. It's a car part, so you've got metal, plastic oil um, and so on Um, so when you burn it it'll produce um, a huge range of compounds especially those plastics Um, there'll be lots of sort of volatile organic compounds many of which will probably be um, carcinogenic or toxic in their own right that is poisonous you know. Um, Dr Colson what would you suggest if people had something like washing on the line or vegetables in the garden are they going to be safe for them? Um, yes, it shouldn't do too much harm. Um, I would imagine that, you know, the soot in the smoke could uh, turn turn your washing black, you know, sort of like in the old days of steam trains in in London where you'd put your washing out and it would uh, come in dirtier than it went out. Um, but, uh, I no, I, I wouldn't be unduly bothered about that. I imagine anyone with respiratory issues will need to take particular care. Uh, yeah. So anyone who's got pre-existing conditions um, such as asthma, possibly heart conditions, um, would be you know, best advised to avoid breathing in any of the, this smoke if they can. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, how, how does something like this get allowed to happen? How do we have huge, enormous uh, scrap metal piles in the middle of our biggest city. It, it, wasn't this an accident waiting to happen? Um, I'm afraid I can't really answer. No, that's not beyond that, the... I mean, yeah. no, that's already a question. For, no, it's you, a comment, Colson. isn't it? It was, it was a comment more than... Yeah, I'm yeah. not putting you on the Can spot, Can I just mate. jump in there? Any advice? Uh, what about... Uh, someone says, what about aircon systems? Um, so if you've got one of those portable air cleaning devices, you know, and, uh, that has a filter in it, that might help. But if you've got uh, an air conditioning system that's bringing air in from outside, then I would probably suggest that you don't do that. 
um, if, if that makes sense. It does. And Good guy, advice. Guy, once, this, once people can no longer smell the smoke or smell that sort of burnt smell, does that mean the air is safe or are these sort of volatile compo- compounds that might still be around? Um, depends on where you are, really. Um, if you can't smell it, because some of them you can't smell anyway, um, but if you've got a noticeable smell and it's decayed to the point where you can't smell it anymore, then I'd suggest that it's probably all right. Um, you know, just because you can smell it doesn't... You're not, many people have very sensitive noses. They can detect smells at way below concentrations that are actually harmful of some of these things. Very good, Dr. Colson. Kiona, thanks for that update. Uh, appreciate it. That's uh, Guy Colson, their principal scientist, uh, air quality. Anyway, nonetheless, to your point, uh, Steve, how is it? Uh, it's not the first time, is it? So I think they'll no. be getting to the bottom of that, uh, or there'll be, uh, there'll be questions being asked uh, on this particular plant in the future. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It's 13 past four. The panel budget day at Auckland City Council today. Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown presents his final budget proposal and is centred on the sale of the council's 18% shareholding in Auckland Airport. At current market prices of the council's 18% stake, that's worth about $2.3 billion. Selling would help address a $375 million budget hole. Now, Brown's preference is to sell those shares, keep rates as low as possible, around the 6 or 7% mark, moderate spending cuts. He has threatened to reinstate deep cuts to arts and social services if certain councillors don't get behind uh, offloading these shares. And councillors make the final decision on budget uh, on the budget on June the 8th. Well, Terry Belcher is a tax expert. He's been following this issue closely. He wrote an opinion piece uh, on this. Kia ora, Terry. Kia ora, Kia ora, everyone. Nice to speak to you again, Wallace. Yeah, uh, pleasure, Terry. Just imagine this, $2.3 billion. That could be used to address some really systemic issues in Auckland, couldn't it? It could, but it's not going to be, is a short answer. Because, you know, I, 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 I quickly want to address one point. The shortfall is not $375 million. It's $325 million, and that's disputed in itself. The extra $50 million that's been touted about is something that's been put aside for the climate um, response in the wake of the Cyclone Gabriel and the uh, anniversary weekend floods. Um, so just wanted to deal with that. Selling the, the shares would just be a short sugar hit. That's all. Because all they plan to do with this is pay down some debt, and they say they're going to save um, approximately uh, seven days. They call it about seventy million dollars. I think is the number they're suggesting um, on that on interest costs. Um, but once the shares are gone, that's it. Yep, and understood. over time, we'll be back in the same. I'm very happy to predict that in two years' time, if the shares are sold, we're back having the same discussion, except this time we won't have the shares as a backstop and, strangely enough, we'll be in another election year. So ratepayers will be more intrigued about how this is going to happen. All right, Joe. Uh, Terry, we've because the previously some before we amalgamated into the super city, some of the council's own shares which they have sold, haven't they? Some of the councils that now make up the Greater Auckland Council. Yes, um, they did. And so, yeah. and we're still in this situation. So, if if selling the shares would solve debt problems, why are we here now? If you see what I mean, 
Well, I couldn't agree more, honestly. Thank you, Joe. That was the point I was driving at. It doesn't, it's a sugar hit, that's all. Well, let, let, let's, let's bring to the, 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 the wonderful audience, particularly those in Tamaki Makoto. Do you support selling off uh, the, the 18% share? Before we get to Steve, though, look, you, you know, the issue, Terry, is that no one disputes the fact that it is a sugar hit and uh, we may not be better off. But this money could be freed up right now and could help people immediately. We had Monroe Councillor Matt Winniart, he said there were some people in his constituency facing real cuts in that community, including cuts to um, social programs helping the kids. People can't afford to live now. And selling the airport shares, this is going to help right now, Terry Belcher. Well, that's a, right. Um, the shares, that's a one-time hit for the moment. The share sales is proposed to retire debt. And what, what you're talking about are operational costs that are going on. And to be frank, I think where I would be looking at this is I think the mayor and the council needs to step back, should have stepped back in the wake of what happened in January and February, the flooding, and thought that is not going to be the first time we're going to be dealing with this. How is our whole finances structured to handle this? And my conclusion, because I've been looking at this for some time across all of local government, is local government, present local government financing system is unsustainable. Our rating base is, is uh, the rates we collect uh, are too low relative to the asset base. Um, and we really should be thinking more about, rather than selling off a very valuable asset, which has gone up 290% since the council was amalgamated, and will continue to grow right. up. Okay. 400 million on the budget estimate that, we, that Mr. Brown started with. All right. So, Terry, Terry, let's bring Stephen. We don't learn, do we? We, 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 we? we need to be learning from the lessons of history. So look, let's, let's think back to the UK back in the 1980s, um, where the Thatcher regime had this brilliant idea of selling off the family silver. And, and yeah, like you say, Terry, it's a sugar hit. It, it feels good in the Im- immediate um, rush of it, but very quickly you realise that, that a revenue-generating asset has, has gone and it's now generating revenue for somebody else and will continue to do so for somebody else. And you're not getting it back. And now suddenly we've, 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 we've had our little p- bonus. And now the asset that was meant to benefit the city forever won't do anymore. And, and it will continue to benefit private shareholders. So how about maybe, I mean, here's, here's an idea. How about um, targeted rate increases? How about having a higher rate for certain sections of the city, let's say, I don't know, for example, Remoera, let's say, just to, you know, to pick a random act constituency, oh, right. and up the rates there. And then in other, in other places, like, for example, Manorewa, where possibly there is, there is a greater need for, for public service provision, we have lower rates. Bit of creative thinking, okay. maybe. All right, big response here. Stay there, Terry. Joe wants a word as well. Uh, Paul in Newmarket says, sell all the shares. Better to pay down debt. Uh, another one here, Scotty says... Paul in Newmarket, wouldn't so, they? Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, so Scotty says... Uh, it's a short-term sugar hit, and the income from the import will be gone forever. Uh, selling cuts the interest payments forever, and those interest payments are around uh, $240 million in interest payments over three years and didn't return a dividend, says Brown. He's a stupid investment. Joe? Well, I just, fa- I just fail to believe that the fiscal position of the biggest city in New Zealand is so simplistic that the only option... To, is to sell the shares 
to keep the rates rise down. I just believe that the fiscal situation must be more complicated than that. There must be other options that are available. It just sounds to me like Brown wants to get his own way. All right, final thought, Terry. Well, I agree with what John and Steve have said, but I want to point out something that should be really factored into this. Firstly, the, 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 the dividend stopped because of a once-in-a-century event. Now, they're about to restart. There's something people perhaps should be aware of, that Auckland Council at the airport is currently negotiating its so what they call price-setting event number four, um, which is to set the aeronautical charges over the next five years. Now, this is delayed because of the COVID response. But there you're going to have a steady revenue stream. Currently, the, the airport earns about $25 per passenger. Now, Sydney Airport, I understand, has a target of raising it to within 10 years to $100 per passenger. And I imagine that the, uh, Auckland Airport will be looking to do something similar. Now, okay. that means we're going to pass away. We give an awful lot of future growth We'll be privatising the profit and be left with the socialised losses of cleaning up the mess of anniversary weekends and the future floods. All right, Terry, nice to have you on the programme. No, no. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, That's uh, Terry Bowser, tax expert there, following this uh, issue for some years there. Uh, Your thoughts, sell the airport shares or no? Text me, 2101. Not a poll, but love to hear your response on that. Antidepressant medications dispensed to children and teenagers increased 53% in the past five years, according to a report on the state of New Zealand's public mental health sector published today. The number of antidepressants dispensed has risen by about a fifth in that period and reached 2,180,500 in the last financial year across all age groups, according to Tehiringa Mahara, the Mental Health and Wellbeing Commission, and antipsychotic medications, they've increased sharply. With us is Dr Hiran Thabru, Chair of Tūte Akaka Roa, Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. Dr Thabru, welcome. Kia ora. Thanks for having me, brothers. Pleasure. That is a very, very big increase. How concerned are you by this? It is a big increase, but it's not new, actually. Um, We did some research a few years ago which showed that actually um, rates of antidepressant prescribing had gone up by 44% between 2007 and 2016. So a longer kind of time period, but there has been an increasing trend in prescribing. And um, there's many reasons why this could be. Uh, One of the first is that maybe more young people are coming to the attention of services because there's increasing mental distress, uh, anxiety and depression, um, and that therefore they're getting more help, which could be a good thing. But it's also probably more likely that there are more young people who need help who are not able to access talking therapies or psychological therapies through specialist mental health services. Oh, okay. Yeah, Steve. I'm just wondering, um, in, obviously, there there is a, a, a long context to place this particular story in, as you just said, Doctor. Mm. But but we do know that in the last three-ish years, there has been an event that obviously has placed an enormous uh, psychological toll on, on everybody. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and so I think we have to, to take that into account. I'm also reading that, that um, there's an enormous number of... Um, 
unfilled vacancies within the profession. And so we've got a massive increased need for expert mental health care and an ongoing lack of um, provision of that care. So so what, how would you recommend that we can attempt to solve that problem? Um, agreeably, there has been a generally increasing trend in mental distress and mental health problems amongst young people. But like you're saying, that which shall be not named like the war, um, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, has also resulted in significantly increased rates of mental distress and anxiety in particular for young people. We know international surveys have shown up to 20% of young people have experienced anxiety. And yes, it's concerning to see that, you know, young people, I mean, I guess one thing from this report is the suggestion that young people are starting to access primary care mental health services as they're developing, which is great to see. Not at rates that were expected, but certainly they are beginning to use them. But if prescribing rates are increasing as increased access to primary care is happening, one has to ask the question, where are these prescriptions coming from? Are they coming from people in specialist mental health services or from primary mental health services? Yeah. Joe. Look, Dr. Thoreau, I don't at all dis- dis- disagree with you um, that there is a rise in, the, in issues with children and teenagers because among my friends, a lot of whom have children that are children or teenagers, you do not have to go far before people are talking about issues their children are having around anxiety or around sort of their emotional well-being or, or issue challenges around mental health. But I just am concerned with the sharpness of that rise. Is there not a risk that we are medicalising and potentially stigmatising things that are stages of development or temporary challenges? I think that most people would offer young people talking therapies or medication only when there's a significant level of distress or symptoms. So I suspect that what's happening is people responding to need um, rather than over-medicalizing problems that actually exist. Uh, having said that, there are the, the, the um, guidelines for treating anxiety and depression in young people definitely recommend talking therapies ahead of medication. Uh, and medication tends to be used first when problems are more severe or when there's uh, inadequate access to those talking therapies. Can I ask, uh, Hiran, are antidepressant medications in fact effective uh, at all in kids and teens? What's the, what's the latest research around that? Sure. Uh, the first caveat to kind of say is that these antidepressant medications, even though they're called antidepressants, are actually used for a range of issues and actually probably more for anxiety than depression. So we don't know why these these young people have been prescribed these medications. The assumption naturally might be that they're for depression, but probably more of them are for anxiety. The most common types of antidepressants that young people would be prescribed these days would be um, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, a long name that we shortened to SSRIs. And these have been around for many decades and are very safe medications with very mild side effects, usually when you begin or increase the dose of the medication. Um, but they need to be taken as prescribed for months of effective and discontinued carefully under supervision. So they're medications we try and restrict to situations with, where a young person's in specialist care or you know you've tried other things first and they haven't Got worked. Very good to have you on the programme, Dr. Thabru Kiara. That's Dr. Hiran Thabru there from the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. That news there reported that antidepressant medications dispensed to kids and teenagers increased 53% in the past five years. It's a lot. It's a lot, isn't it? Uh, 27 past for the panel, Steve McCabe, Joe McCarroll. Now, by the way, if you are interested in um, uh, having a story on the panel or you might have an idea... 
Um, why not get in touch with me? Uh, we're always keen to look at um, anything and everything that comes through the inbox. You can just email us, the panel at rnz.co.nz. And by the way, the panel is on Spotify. I do want to mention that because um, there are many of you who aren't able to listen to the panel in real time. You're busy. And so Spotify is one way you can uh, actually uh, get your fix of RNZ to the panel. But to this, this from an article in The Independent, I've got to come to this because I've experienced it myself. Clips are going viral of women reclaiming space from spread-happy men on public transport. 24-year-old Olivia found herself in a man-spread sandwich on the tube in the UK. They must have known what they were doing, but they just didn't care, Olivia said. Just one of many who are highlighting the issue. This is called man-spreading. Bit of response on that to the panel. I found myself having to squeeze next to a manspreader on the bus. I said brightly, do you mind moving over, please? I'm not as slim as I look. And because I don't look all that slim, he looked really annoyed. But he did move. Manspreading, so true, happens so regularly on buses and always men, totally oblivious to the fact they are doing it. In fact, I think they may feel they're entitled to the space. So I thought I'd bring that up on the panel. I have noticed this myself. Um... Predominantly guys, Joe McCarroll, you sit next to them. What's with their legs splayed out? I actually um, just a few weeks ago went to an event at the Writers' Festival and it was a lunch event, so we're at a shared table. But I was sitting next to this man who wasn't in the party that I was there with and he sort of oozed into all <laughs> all the space. And so I, it was a lunch, you know, we were being served food. So I was reduced to sort of being at arm's length from the table and just trying to sort of occasionally spear a piece of food with like a, a harpoon-like fork. Yeah, look, without a doubt, I, I, it happens. I, it does I happen? Do, it absolutely happens. I do think it I've, – I've never noticed it from a woman – um, but I don't know. I don't know if it's. Um, I think it, it's rude, not necessarily always gendered. But um, I think it, it behooves us all to think whether or not the behaviour, uh, our behaviour, is impacting in any negative way on the people uh, Steve, around us. Sorry to be uh, be personal, but it was very interesting watching you during this segment uh, quickly cross your legs and fold your arms. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm just a very. I, I'm a very reserved and shy and quiet and retiring person, obviously. No, I mean, Joe's absolutely right. It, it's selfishness. It's thoughtless, and, and it does tend to be blokes. I, don't, I mean, you know, I, it, it's, it's obviously very unusual to see a woman sitting like that on a bus or a train. It, okay. um, but it, it does tend to be blokes. Um, I, I'm obviously obliged at this point to say not all men, obviously, that's required. And it's not all men, but the ones who do it are idiots. Can I just can I just throw something at you both, particularly you, Steve, when you say it's entitlement? Um, can I suggest that manspreading is subconscious? One doesn't know. One is not aware that one is manspreading. But but what one is by and large. So you can be thoughtful. forgiven for it. Well, you you can you be forgiven for that level of thoughtlessness if you're not aware of it. If you, if you're sitting there taking up the space of three people and people say to you, "Excuse me, uh, you're taking up my space," and and you carry on doing this behaviour day after day after day, then but no one tells you, and it's subconscious behaviour. You don't oh, know you're okay, doing okay, well, it. Right. If, if I'm sitting on the train right and I just plonk if crowded train, I plonk my bag next to me on the train, right, and no one comes up to me and says, "Oi, move that bag." I, should I just be forgiven for being that thoughtless or I do and know I'm occupying another seat? 
I think that's interesting, the way you phrase that, Wallace, that thing where you're just not aware that you're doing it. And I think that's probably where it does come down to a gendered issue because when you are a woman, you are very aware of your physical body. You are made aware of it all the time. It is, um, you are constantly thinking about um, if people are brushing up against you, you have a different awareness of it because um, you think, you know, what's going on here? Like, do I need to react to something here? I just think it's a different experience of the world. Do you really? Yeah, I really do. Is it, I'm, is not, it, I'm not sort of saying I walk around in sort of terror the whole day, but, but I think you have a different physical experience of the world. And I think men who are just like, oh, yeah, I'll jostle in here, I'll brush up against you, that's probably just outside their experience. But at that point, maybe it's, it, it is worthwhile to think about the fact that your experience is not universal. Hang on, I, I think Wallace is about to mansplain the female experience to here. <laughs> I can see no, it coming. Yeah, yeah, but it's headlines time, so I'm going to... Thank you for saving me. It was Steve. good, Steve. Yeah, thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, 